Turn with me to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 31 and 32. We're going to look at two, two little sentences. Two little sentences that dig deep into private lives. But I want to remind us of a few things about these words. Number one, who they're coming from. This is the Sermon on the Mount. These are the words of the Son of the living God. This is God in the flesh. This is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth and in your life and in your marriage and in your divorce. This is the one who has all authority. This is not Greg. This is Jesus. These are his words. This is the king. This is the only king. This is our king. This is the king of every single king who ever lived. This is the Lord of Lords. This is the uncreated one. This is our creator. This is the one who made all things, the one who owns all things, the one who made us both male and female, and the one who invented marriage. This is who's talking. This is our Savior. This is our eternal husband. This is the one who loves us and gave himself for us. We found mercy, and we are his people. We are his sheep, and he is our shepherd, and his sheep hear his voice and follow him. And so let's take very great care how we hear these words. I'll remind you who Jesus is talking to. Who, who is he addressing? First, he's confronting false interpretations of scripture he's confronting the pharisees who have twisted god's word they have relaxed the law and jesus is restoring and that's what we're going to read here today he's restoring the right interpretation of god's word and he's addressing directly his own disciples they're sitting if you look at chapter 5 verse 1 they're sitting at his feet this is the king addressing his citizens and saying, this is the standard of righteousness. This is what you believe. This is how you live. And the disciples are there at his feet, but there are crowds too. There are crowds that are not as followers, unconverted people who are, who are also hearing this. And Jesus is indicting everybody. And the same, as, same goes for today. We've got a room full of faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And we have many that aren't. And so just like back then, there are going to be many here who leave astonished. Astonished at Jesus' teaching. Many here, I hope, will leave convicted of sin. Sadly, many will leave here totally unchanged but perhaps by God's grace some will turn from sin and bow their knee to the one who speaks these words today I also want to remind you this little paragraph is connected to the previous paragraph the previous paragraph about the seventh commandment of lust and adultery. This is not from the Ten Commandments. This is a mosaic case law about divorce. But you know what? Both of them deal with 
sexual sin. Both of them deal with God's just response to sexual sin. They both deal with very serious temporal and eternal matters. Sexual sin, even in the heart, is grounds for eternal punishment in hell. Sexual sin is selfish and destructive. And here we see sexual sin in marriage is grounds for divorce. And so here we have a text about marriage and divorce. And so I'll remind you of this. God loves marriage. And God hates divorce. God loves marriage. He said in the beginning, it is not good that man should be alone in marriage with the very first human institution created by God. When God had declared everything very good, he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. God loves marriage. God invented marriage. He designed marriage to be a living, breathing picture of the gospel. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And the two shall become one flesh. And Paul says, man, this, is, this mystery about marriage is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and its, his church. God loves marriage and he hates divorce. Malachi 2, he says, The Lord was witness. He was witness between you and the wife of your youth. The wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. The New King James Version translates that same, same sentence as this. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence. Jesus is going to remind us today that it is because of your hardness of heart that Moses allowed divorce, but from the beginning it was not so. What God has joined together, let Man not separate. Marriage is a good and holy thing, a gift from God. And this is why he hates it. When we rip apart with sin what he has joined together in love and grace. So let's pray real quick for the Lord's help before we read this text. Lord Jesus, these are your words. These are your words, and I pray for your help. God, I pray that your words, your words would come here in power today, Lord, and you would bring conviction of sin where necessary. Gospel comfort where necessary. That you would exalt yourself. You would exalt marriage. You would exalt the gospel. And you would strengthen marriages here today. Help us, Lord. We are weak. We are sinful. But we long to do your will. And bring glory to your name. Help us. Help us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.
Matthew 5.31, Jesus says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So here we see the same formula we've had two times already. This is the third time now. You've heard it said, but I say to you, what Jesus is showing us is the wrong interpretation of God's Word, and then He shows us the right interpretation of God's Word. And so He's doing so here now on marriage and divorce. And so we have the wrong interpretation or unbiblical divorce, as I will say several times. And we have Jesus showing us the right interpretation or biblical divorce. And in order to understand the wrong interpretation, to be able to get to the right interpretation, we're going to need to pull, we're going to need to pull together three different texts. Here, Matthew 5, Matthew 19, excuse me, Matthew 19, and then all the way back to Moses, Deuteronomy 24. So Jesus has dealt with two of the Ten Commandments already. Murder and anger in the sixth. Adultery and lust in the seventh. But now he goes all the way back to this case law in 24. Deuteronomy 24. And so we're going to look at these three texts. We're going to look at what the Pharisees said in Matthew 19. We're going to look at what Moses said in Deuteronomy 24. And then we're going to come back here and see what Jesus is saying. So be prepared to, to flip first to Matthew 19. And you'll see this is, this is a parallel con type of conversation that he's having with Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 19 verse 3 it says, Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And so you can see sort of the same conversation here happens again later on in, in Matthew. Now I want you to get this right off the bat. That they, we've talked about law relaxing. This is part of the problem. The Pharisees are actually relaxing the law. The legalists are relaxing the law. And then I want you to know there's two ways to do that. One is to narrow, and one is to broaden. And we've seen already how the Pharisees were relaxing the law by narrowing the command. They said, you know, as long as I don't kill nobody, I'm good. As long as I don't go to bed with my neighbor's wife, I'm good. So they've narrowed the command and ignored the heart, the spiritual aspect of the law. But also know that you can weaken the law or relax the law by broadening an allowance by taking a narrow permission and just running with it. It's kind of like if, if you have children and you, and you say, you can have a piece of candy, 
And later on, you see the, the bag has been destroyed. The bag has been eaten up. And they justify their sin by saying, well, you said I could have some. The Pharisees have broadened this narrow divorce allowance. We can see here in Jesus' words that there's an allowance for divorce from Moses in verse 8. Chapter 19, verse 8, he says, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed, he allowed you to divorce your wives. And we're going to see in a minute that that allowance was for indecency. The Pharisees have now grossly broadened this narrow allowance by broadening this definition of indecency to include almost anything. A false interpretation for sinful gain. You can see this mindset they had in the opening question to Jesus in, in verse 3. It says, it, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Can you imagine all the wicked ways that men might justify getting rid of their wife by broadening the term indecency to the point where it really has no meaning at all? Turning the word indecency into deficiency. Well, she just doesn't look decent anymore. She's not a decent cook. She doesn't keep the house the way she should. She, she complains too much on and on and on. Is it lawful to divorce for any cause? That was their question. It's the same today. This is thousands and thousands of years ago, and it's the same today. We got no fault divorce, any cause. And I just want you to know, this is the same thing. No fault divorce is the modern day equivalent of this false, pharisaical interpretation. Any cause. It's interesting. No fault divorce we have today is a, is a result of the sexual revolution, which we talked about last week. First signed into law in California by Ronald Reagan in 1969, and now every single state in the United States has no fault divorce, and most of them, this is the only way you can get divorced. We're going to see shortly that no-fault divorce is unbiblical. It's sin. And it causes, it causes adultery. Now the Pharisees not only broaden this allowance, but they turn this allowance into a command. Into a command. Look at verse 7. They say, why then did Moses command divorce? But look how Jesus responds. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed. There's a competing view here. And I want you to understand what this effectively does. It turns evil into righteousness. False righteousness, self-righteousness. Dump your wife, call it obedience. I got to. If your wife doesn't live up to your standards of decency, then you send her away because it's the right thing to do. God commands it. Not true. The Pharisees focused not on what was important. They focused on the instructions instead of the, the destruction. Notice how there's a focus on the certificate. Here in verse 7, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce? And this is what Jesus is saying over here in the Sermon on the Mount. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This is the interpretation. This was the focus. The focus was on the letter of the law, on the instructions, on the procedure, with a complete disregard for the heart of the law or the heart of God or the destruction that divorce may cause. It's a mindset that says, you know, as long as I follow these steps in the letter of the law, everything will be fine. I will be obedient to the Lord. Not true. So that's the wrong interpretation. That's what the Pharisees said. But what did Moses say? So this is where we got to flip all the way back to the Torah. Deuteronomy 24. 
Deuteronomy 24, the first paragraph in Deuteronomy 24, first four verses. And I want you to see there is a command here, but the command is about remarriage, not divorce. And before we read this, if you've got a pen and you write in your Bible, I want to help you. I want to show you uh, how to understand this text even before we read it. I want to show you the command is not about divorce, but it's about remarriage. You're going to see the indecency allowance. But if you write in your Bible, put a big, bold square around that first word of verse 1. It should be when or maybe if. That starts a really long conditional statement of if, 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 if. And then in verse 4, put a big square around the first words, which should be then. And if your Bible doesn't say then, just put a big square around 4 and write the word then, because that's what should be there. Thus saith Greg. But what I, hope you, what I hope you see here is these first three verses are laying out one big, long if statement for you programmers in the room. Then, here's what you do in verse 4. Here's the command. Here's the conclusion. If this, verses 1 through 3, if this, 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 this happens, then this is what you're supposed to do. Thus saith the Lord. So, with all those instructions... Let's read. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she debarks out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her divorce certificate, and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or, if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then, here comes the command, her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination to the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving for you for an inheritance. The short version is this. If a man divorces his wife, he is not allowed to remarry her if she's been with another man. Let me repeat that. The, the, the command is this. The short version is this. If a man divorces his wife, he is not allowed to remarry her if she's been with another man. And God tells us why. She has been defiled, it said. How? Like, how has she been defiled? And why is this marriage an abomination before the Lord? Well, it's one of two things. One, the spouse is guilty of that original charge of indecency and therefore defiled. Or, the spouse was not guilty of the original charge of indecency, and therefore it was an unjust divorce, which then caused the spouse to commit adultery in the second marriage, and therefore defiled. God's telling the husband, you declared her defiled, you can't have her back. So the command here is about remarriage, not divorce, but as you can see, there is an allowance here. There's a very narrow allowance, more narrow than what they are interpreting. And so it's narrow, not broad. And the allowance is in verse 1. It says, If the wife finds no favor in his eyes because the husband has found some indecency in her. He's found some indecency. And that word literally means a shameful thing. Something shameful. Something indecent. Sort of rooted in this word, this concept of nakedness. Something that ought to be hidden that brings shame when it's exposed. That's, that's what this word means. And it, it could cover lots of things, frankly. And this ambiguity has led to this unacceptable broadening by wicked hearts. 
But I want you to know, here's what it cannot mean. Here's what it doesn't mean. There's no way it can mean this. It can't mean incest. It can't mean homosexuality. It can't mean bestiality. It can't mean adultery. It can't even mean adultery during the betrothal or the engagement period. Because all of those already had a penalty. Death. Like this is this is a rule for something else. That was death. And it can't even mean suspicion of adultery, because there's a thing for that too. Called the ordeal of bitter water. If you suspected your wife of adultery, she had to drink this we won't get into this concoction, and you know, if it made her sick, she's guilty. Numbers chapter five. So this indecency is most likely referring to any other forms of unacceptable, immoral behavior, especially any other form of indecent sexual behavior. We should note here about the certificate. This certificate of divorce is significant. Jewish custom required witnesses for this. The scribe had to write it up and there had to be Witnesses, as Deuteronomy 19 says, only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. And so this certificate actually protected women, protected children. Man, in those days, can you imagine what might happen to a woman and perhaps children without these safeguards? The, the certificate and the necessity of witnesses sort of uh, limited the occasions in which a man could just throw them out in the street. The certificate might even explain the situation. It, it most certainly cleared her of adultery, otherwise she could be stoned in the street. The certificate clearly allowed her to remarry and to be provided for or protected by a new husband. So it's important to realize that this law is actually meant to restrain divorce, not condone it or endorse it or establish it. This is the purposes, this is one of the purposes of God's law, to restrain evil. This is what's happening. The restraining of evil. Many commentators actually say that one of the schemes that was going on here that this is supposed to restrain is a financial scheme. Whenever you got married, the, the wife's family had to pay a dowry. And you had to repay the dowry if you divorced. Except in the case of indecency. You got to keep the money. You got to keep the dowry. And then, man, if, if a second marriage went down and there was a divorce there, the divorce payment would be a good thing for the first husband to try to get this keeps him from doing that. This keeps all of that exploitation by the first husband. Keeps it at bay. And so this law is meant to restrain divorce, not establish it. So now, what is Jesus saying? Back to the Sermon on the Mount, these little two sentences. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. There's the false interpretation from what Moses wrote. But I say to you, now Jesus is establishing the right interpretation, but without the death penalty, sexual immorality still makes you liable to hell, but not stoning in the street. And so here Jesus is laying out there is a just response, a righteous response to sexual immorality in marriage. Divorce. That's the right biblical just response to sexual immorality in divorce, in marriage. Now, again, these competing interpretations, they said, but I say to you, they said for any cause. Jesus says, one cause. They said, is it lawful to divorce one's 
wife for any cause. And Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality. One ground. They said command. Jesus said allowance. And so this is exactly what Jesus is trying to do. He is restoring the right interpretation of the law. Jesus is explaining to us biblical divorce. If you recall what he did over there in Matthew 19, I want you to realize that his, his first pivot was the sanctity of marriage. It was not to argue which grounds are good. What can I do to get out of this marriage? His first pivot was to uphold marriage. He pointed all the way back to, to Genesis, back to the original design, this uh, male and female, this cleaving together, this one flesh. And so this passage is just as much about marriage as it is divorce. I want you to realize that. Every one of these laws are we've been presented from a negative side, like don't murder, don't be angry. But there's a positive side. Instead of anger and murder, we, we got love and the sanctity of life. Instead of lust and not committing adultery, we've got purity and faithfulness being called for. And here on the passage on divorce is really also a passage about the sanctity of marriage. And here Jesus reveals one ground for biblical divorce, sexual immorality. See that in verse 23. Everyone who divorces his wife, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality. One ground for divorce, sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? This underlying Greek word is, interestingly enough, pornia. P-O-R-N-E-I-A. This is where we get the English word for porn. It's a very comprehensive word for sexual sin. And it's a very serious and eternal matter. Paul says, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure has no inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. It's serious. So I think Jesus uses this word here to include all sexual sin punishable by death in the old covenant. Adultery, incest, homosexuality, bestiality, and so on and so on, and all those other forms that also fall under that indecency provision. So the best summation here is serious sexual sin. But more than just lust in the heart, like was in the second, previous paragraph. And so Jesus is revealing this one ground for biblical divorce, sexual immorality. You see, the, the consummation of marriage establishes this one flesh union. The two will become one flesh. And sexual immorality rips that apart. Paul says the body is not meant for sexual immorality. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? So you should see how the guilty party here has broken the wedding bond and become united to another. And this unholy severance is grounds for biblical divorce. It can only be restored through genuine repentance in God's grace. Now I want you to realize also that the Bible reveals three Listen to how I say this. Three righteous conclusions to marriage. I'm not saying three grounds for divorce. There's two. 
But there are three righteous reasons a marriage might come to an end. One is obvious, death. To death do us part, Romans 7. A married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released. She is released from the law of marriage. If her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not, she is not an adulteress. Death. The severing of one flesh. The second grounds for biblical divorce, or the second reason to end a marriage righteously would be here, sexual immorality. And the third is in 1 Corinthians 7, desertion by an unbelieving spouse. But my sermon is on Matthew 5. And so, just realize that there's three right ways for a marriage to come to an end, and anything and everything else is sin. Anything and everything else is sin. Anything and everything else causes adultery. So, unbiblical divorce is sin. Now, before we move to the warnings here, you should realize that the grounds for divorce is not a mandate for divorce. Don't be like the Pharisees. Grounds for divorce is not a mandate for divorce. Jesus, he's, he's showing us justifiable, righteous, biblical grounds for divorce, but not necessarily a mandate. If your spouse is guilty of sexual immorality, do you have to give it a divorce? No. What if the guilty party demonstrates godly repentance and bears fruit of godly repentance? Forgive them. What if they don't? What if they're unrepentant? Long for and pray for genuine repentance. Strive for, pray for, God wrought reconciliation. Man, what a picture of the gospel that would be. Forgiveness to the chief of sinners. Wouldn't that be awesome? But if there's no repentance, you are free. You are absolutely free. Free to divorce. You are free to marry. The, the guilt is on them. The guilt is on the offending party. This is biblical divorce. God's righteous provision towards for unrighteousness and unfaithfulness in marriage. Biblical divorce, the right interpretation. Now, the warnings here, this is the whole second half of this text, is, is that unbiblical divorce is sin. Biblical divorce is a righteous response to sin. But Jesus' warning here is that unbiblical divorce is sin. Divorce, sadly, divorce always involves sin. It always involves sin. Even if it's a biblical divorce, it involves sin. Here, sexual immorality or desertion by an unbelieving spouse. And then here, unbiblical divorce is sin. It's caused by an infidelity to God's word. And it causes adultery. Jesus is going to show us. Jesus is issuing an indictment here. A multifaceted indictment. This text is an indictment and it's a warning to anyone who causes Biblical divorce. Anyone who promotes unbiblical divorce. And anyone who participates in unbiblical divorce. And so first, beware of infidelity to God's marriage covenant. This text is an indictment against anybody who causes biblical divorce. Divorce. So husbands, 
Wives, beware of infidelity. Sexual immorality in marriage is aggravated adultery. If secret lust in the heart, which we saw in the previous paragraph, if secret lust in the heart will send you to hell, how much more sexual sin in marriage? Do not, do not defile the marriage bed. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Hebrews 13, 4. Beware of infidelity in marriage. But also, beware of infidelity to God's word regarding marriage. This, this text is also an indictment against anyone who would promote this false interpretation, anyone who would promote unbiblical divorce. See, there's, there's three indictments going on here against the scribes and the Pharisees. He talks about the one who relaxes the law or teaches others to do the same. is going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. He, he's saying the, the Pharisees were guilty of relaxing God's law here by broadening this allowance. And they were teaching other people to do the same thing. They were teaching other people this same false interpretation. They were basically establishing and promoting no-fault divorce. Therefore, guess what they're doing? They're guilty of promoting sin. They're guilty of causing adultery. So beware of your marital advice to somebody else. If you promote a relaxed law, you are promoting sin. So beware. We hear things like, girl, you should just leave that man. Bro, you can do better than her. That's wicked, unbiblical counsel. The heart of the matter here is that Jesus says unbiblical divorce causes adultery. This is an indictment to anyone who participates in unbiblical divorce. He says unbiblical divorce causes adultery. Notice three indictments here. One, Jesus says that spouses in an unbiblical divorce cause one another to commit adultery. Look at verse 32. He says, Everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. You, you, you cause the other one to commit adultery. He also says that the spouse in an unbiblical divorce commits adultery if they remarry. It says he makes her commit adultery. And then third, brings in the third party, whoever marries a spouse out of an unbiblical divorce commits adultery. He says, whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, all this is related to this unbiblical Divorce it has nothing to do with a righteous biblical divorce. But in this case, there's all sorts of sin. There's commission of sin. There's causing of sin. And Jesus says, woe to the one who causes another to sin. Man, guilt abounds here because sin abounds. I want you to think about all the ways in which you can find yourself guilty here. If you commit an act of sexual immorality in your marriage, 
you're guilty before God. If you tempt someone to commit sexual immorality in their marriage, you're guilty before God. If you counsel someone towards unbiblical divorce, you're guilty before God. Whether you're a friend or a family member or a pastor or an attorney, you're guilty before God. If you take part in an unbiblical divorce, you're guilty before God. If you remarry after an unbiblical divorce, you're guilty before God. If you marry someone who's been part of an unbiblical divorce, you're guilty before God. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who can stand? The same Jesus who said, for God to love the world, in John 3, 16, is the same one who says this. This is a real good place to pause and let the realities of sin and righteousness and judgment settle in. Before I read the next sentence from that psalm, and I don't want to soften the blow. I really don't. I don't want to water down God's word because, number one, thus saith the Lord. And number two, is this is precisely what makes the gospel of Christ crucified so sweet and so precious. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. If you ever said amen, If you're guilty here today, the remedy is so simple. It's so simple. It's so sweet. It's the same one we say every week. It's simple. It's sweet. It's immediate. It's forever. Repent. If you're guilty of any of these things or you've been guilty of any of these things in the past, you need to repent. And that involves two things. Number one, you need to change your mind. You need to change your ways. You need to repent. You need to change your mind about divorce and you need to agree with God. If you do not agree with what Jesus is teaching here, you need to change your mind. Right now. You need to realize the truth. You need to agree with God. If you thought wrongly about all this in your past, you need to change your mind. You need to agree with God. If you sinned in this way in the past, you need to be like David and agree with God. Yes, he sinned against Bathsheba and Bathsheba's husband. But you know what he said? Have mercy on me, O God. Against you and you alone have I sinned. And I've done what is evil in your sight and you would be right and justified and blameless in your judgment against me. And change your mind regarding sexual sin and marriage and divorce and agree with God. You need to change your ways. Change your ways regarding marriage and sin no more. Realize the truth. Realize your sin and don't do it anymore. Change your ways. What did Jesus say to the woman caught in adultery in John 8? He told her two things. He forgave her, yeah. He said, neither do I can condemn you. But he also said, go, and from now on, sin no more. Repent. This is the first part of the remedy. Repent and believe. Repent and believe the gospel. Because guess what? I got good news for you. Jesus died for these sins too. And when we find certain sins, like we feel like they're more heinous than others, Jesus died for this too. Peter says, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on that tree. Which sins did he bear on that tree? All of them, including these. All of them. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from 
all sin. Man, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, the love of God was made manifest in the world. When God sent his only begotten son that we might live through him and be forgiven. It's not that we love God. He said he loved us and sent his son, son to be a propitiation. That sacrifice that we need. Under this crushing burden of guilt and wrath to come. God sent his son to bear that wrath in our place as our sin offering. He's our lamb. We need a lamb. He's our lamb. He's the lamb of God. Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh, the long promised Messiah, crucified on a Roman cross for these sins too, in our place, drugged through the streets like we deserve, crushed under the weight of our sin, dead, buried, shoved in a tomb and forgotten, but raised from the dead on the third day to prove he's the son of God, to prove that, man, all your sin is gone. No penalty. Peace by the blood of his cross. Total forgiveness of sin. Man, this sermon on the mount, man, it proves one thing. It proves we're sinners. And the gospel proves that we can be saved because the one that's preaching this sermon is the one who came into the world to save sinners. If you lay hold of Christ, you'll be forgiven. Because everybody, everyone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Believe that. Repent and believe that. And guess what's next? Just rest. Just rest. Man, even, even if you are the chief of sinners, when Jesus saves, man, he saves. He saves to the uttermost. Rest in Christ. Man, even if you've broken every single commandment of God a thousand times, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, rest in that. Rest in Christ. Total and forever forgiveness. you got to remember who this is who's talking about marriage and divorce. This is the eternally faithful husband. The one who is eternally faithful to an unfaithful bride. He died for his bride. He died for his adulterer. And there's no chance for divorce. Man, there's no chance. Not with him. Not with him. It's finished. Man, it's forgiven. He says, I will remember their sins no more. He says, I'm going to remove your transgression as far as the east is from the red. Rest in that. Rest in that forgiveness. And sing songs like this from the heart. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part. But the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. This is the remedy for this sin right here and all the others that's going to come up as we preach this glorious sermon from the Son of God, the one who saves sinners. And man, that... That should create a new resolve in you to love marriage and hate divorce. If God saves you, he's going to make you a man or a woman after his own heart. And guess what? God loves marriage and he hates divorce. And man, I don't care. Where, regardless of where you are in your life or even in your walk with Christ, I want you to resolve today to hear his voice and obey. By the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to resolve to love what he loves and hate what he hates. I want you to resolve to love marriage and hate divorce. And if you're divorced here today, I want you to do that. I want you to embrace these truths, 
Repent from any sin. Praise God for His grace. Rest in His forgiveness. Forget the past. And I want you to resolve to champion gospel reflecting marriage till the end of your days. And if you find yourself in the role of a counselor, I want you to be resolved to love marriage and hate divorce. I want you to know the truth about marriage. I want you to know the truth about divorce from God's word. And I want you to reject the world's low and frivolous view of marriage. And I want you to beware of infidelity to God's word. And I want you to be careful what you say. And I want you to resolve to exalt marriage and condemn sin. If you're single, I want you to resolve to love marriage and hate divorce. And we just see the beauty and the design and the glory of God-ordained marriage. And I want you to avoid at all cost an unbiblical marriage to an unbeliever. And I want you to pray for and seek after a godly spouse. And man, I want you to understand. You don't. You don't. But I want you to understand the magnitude of that vow till death do us part. And I want you to resolve to submit to a husband or lay your life down for a wife. And if you're here and you're married, I want you to resolve to love it, to love marriage and hate divorce in several ways. One, stop sexual sin. Man or woman, husband or wife, you know your secret sexual sin. God knows your secret sexual sin. Turn from it before it's too late. Turn from it before this gets exposed Turn from it before the fire escapes the oven and destroys everything. And number two, don't even consider divorce. Absent of biblical grounds, don't even consider it. Resolve today, truly, till death goes far. And run. Run from unbiblical counsel. Run from it. You'll be blessed. Believe me. You'll be blessed. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And don't even come near it. Don't even come near divorce. If there are problems, work them out. If there's division, be reconciled because blessed are the peacemakers for they should be called sons of God. If your spouse has sinned, forgive them. Extend mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. If you're the one who sinned, repent with godly grief because blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Do that. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Be one flesh and put that on display. May your marriage be salt and light in a corrupt, dark world. And may it bring glory to your Father who is in heaven, the one who joined you and saved you, the unfaithful bride. Let's pray. Father, you saved us. Lord Jesus, you saved us. We are 
unfaithful, you are faithful. We are unrighteous, you're righteous. You're godly, you're God, we're ungodly. Christ, you came into the world to save us. The just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, the godly for the ungodly. And we praise you. Please help our lives, help the lives of the members of this church bring you glory. Help the marriages of this church bring you glory. Please help us. If you leave us to ourselves, we'll ruin it. We always do. But you promise power. You promise power. Give us power. I pray you'd comfort those who need comfort right now for this. And God, I pray you save those and grant repentance and faith for those in this room who do not know your blessed Son. And please do that. Let it be known that you're the God of salvation and the God of righteousness. Holy, holy, holy. Help us to be holy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And we all say, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.